The US dollar's been around for a long time, but will it last that much longer? You see, while it's been in existence for over 200 years, the current fiat version, which isn't backed by any hard collateral like the gold and silver that it once was prior to 1971, is only just now turning 50 years old. And in the five decades since it's made its debut, our current fiat dollar has lost 85% of its purchasing power. At that rate, how much longer will we be able to keep on using these things? Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart with another brief explainer video. This one focused on the outlook for the US dollar, which turns 50 years old on August 15th. I find that most people don't give much thought to what stands behind the money they use. This is especially true for Americans because for our entire lives, the dollar has been our national currency. It feels like a dependable constant, something that's always been there and always will. But as I mentioned in my introduction, the current version of the US dollar we have today is actually quite young. At least, I like to think it is because I'm recording this video on my 50th birthday. So the US dollar is pretty much exactly as old as this guy right here. I think equating the age of the dollar to a middle-aged adult helps us better understand that the dollar is not some sort of timeless, unchanging constant. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a relatively recent experiment. Two weeks after I was born, President Nixon severed the dollar's remaining ties to the gold standard, removing all reality-based constraints on how much currency America can create. Rather than knowing the US dollar was backed by a certain amount of gold, the world now had to trust in America's prudence to not abuse its power to print money at will. Okay, 50 years into the experiment, how's it turning out so far? Yeah, I'll get to that in just a second, but before I do, if you're watching this video and haven't subscribed to this channel yet, please do so now by clicking the subscribe button below, as well as the little bell icon right next to it. You know, I usually explain how this really helps us out by enabling us to attract even more big name interview guests onto this channel, but this time, let me just say it'll be your birthday gift to me. Right now, this channel has 42,000 subscribers, and I'd love your help in getting it on its way to 50,000. It seems an appropriate target with me turning 50 and all. Okay, so now that you've subscribed, let's answer the question. How has the US dollar fared since becoming a true fiat currency in 1971? Well, if we look at the loss of purchasing power, the story is pretty grim. The dollar is worth 85% less today than it was when Nixon slammed shut the gold window five decades ago. The main culprit for this devaluation is inflation. A lot of new dollars have been created over the past 50 years. America has what is called a debt-based monetary system. Dollars are loaned into existence, either through our banking system or by the Federal Reserve. And we've been doing a lot of lending over the past decades, folks. Now, this may sound a little wonky, so I won't travel further into the weeds here. But for those who want to understand better the process for how dollars get made, watch episodes four and five of Mike Maloney's excellent Hidden Secrets of Money video series. Let's just say that once it was no longer bound to the discipline of a gold standard, the US radically increased its currency supply. And it did this by borrowing. Total private and public debt has skyrocketed. In many ways, these charts perfectly visualize the concerns expressed by sound money advocates. 
If you remove government's restraints on creating currency, it will create as much as it can get away with. Well, now we have a big problem. We've been growing our debts way faster than our GDP, resulting in bigger and bigger annual deficits, as the chart here shows. A simple way to put this is that we've been living way above our means ever since the dollar went fiat. Not dissimilar to how a reckless teen can rack up expenses quickly if he gets access to his parents' credit card. With such a tremendous debt burden and no realistic prospects of growing our way out from under it, there really is only one viable option left for America's central planners, to keep printing more currency. The mountain of debt must be adequately serviced. If not, the magnitude of the cascade of defaults that would result is the worst nightmare of politicians. They will do everything in their power not to be the ones to preside over the worst depression in our country's history. Now keep in mind, the stats I've shown you here all come from the U.S. government itself, using its own reported measures of inflation, which anyone with eyes can see drastically underreports reality. With real-world prices of housing, fuel, food, and healthcare up 20% or more since last year, does anyone really believe the government stats of somewhere between 2 and 5%? My point is, if the charts I've shown you so far make you concerned, reality is likely even worse. So, how much longer can the fiat dollar remain the world's reserve currency, as well as continue to be coin of the realm here in the U.S., before people start dumping it for a replacement that holds its value better? Big questions like that require big thinkers. So let's turn to John Rubino, co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, and founder of DollarCollapse.com. John, thanks so much for joining us. When you look at how much purchasing power the U.S. fiat dollar has lost in the past 50 years, how much longer do you think it can continue before we start seeing a critical mass of dollar holders rejecting it for better alternatives? Hey, Adam. Well, let me start by saying that you at 50 are in way better shape than any of the world's major fiat currencies. And I, <laughs> I think you will outlast all of them. So um, and as for how long this can keep going, um, well, you know, it turns out that um, we will accept a perceived loss of purchasing power of one or 2% a year in our currency, basically forever. That doesn't seem to affect people. We're kind of like the frog in the boiling water. The frog in the pot, yeah. Yeah, uh, because a little bit at a time is something that, that we don't really notice necessarily. Um, so the, the thing that will change the psychological, and by the way, a, a fiat currency is only a psychological construct. That's all it is. It only exists because we believe it has value and that we can trust the people that are managing it to maintain its value and its other functionality over time. When that goes away, everything falls apart. So the question is, what number um, would change things? In other words, would 3% perceived inflation or 4% or 5%? By the way, notice I'm saying perceived because we actually have had raging inflation, but it's been really narrowly focused um, in stocks, bonds, and real estate, which we see as good inflation. In other words, it's good that those prices are going up. So that doesn't freak anybody out. But it is right. a loss it, it, at least if you own those assets, if you don't and you're priced out, you're actually noticing. Yeah. 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 If you're trying to buy a house, you are totally noticing inflation right now. But uh, in general terms, we can get away with that. You know, we can have raging inflation in financial assets and modest inflation in food and, and cars and things like that. And, and basically, that doesn't seem to uh, present as a crisis to most people. Uh, so it. it 
then, you know, then the question becomes, what is the number in terms of the loss of purchasing power in the things that we notice? In other words, how fast do food prices have to go up? Uh, how about college tuition? How about healthcare? When those things are soaring or, or going up at a, at a rate that gets everybody's notice, that's when things change psychologically for the fiat currencies. Um, and, you know, it's anybody's guess what that number is, but I suspect it's not that much higher than what we see now. You know, we've got four or 5% inflation going on right now. And you're seeing the, uh, the food companies in their, in their um, earnings calls mentioning that they're going to have to raise prices because the price of all their inputs are going up. And so it's, it's becoming more embedded in the system out there. And if, you know, breakfast cereal and bread and eggs and milk and things like that suddenly start going up in a way that hurts regular people, then I think that there'll be a phase change in our perception out there and the markets will start reacting to what they perceive to be an inflationary world. And then everything changes. Um, we don't know exactly what the number is, but I think if it continues on this course, in other words, if we've gone from you know 2% perceived inflation to 4% or 5% right now, if we stay there or go higher, um, then next year at this time, things will be very different than they are right now and a lot dicier for the big fiat currencies. All right. Great, great answer. And uh, first off, I love how we're talking 2% versus 4 or 5% because uh, we're using the government's reported stats. I think uh, anybody that lives in the real world knows that those are very underreported numbers and the actual true inflation rate uh, is probably substantially higher. But but let's let's stay in the government world for a moment. So sounds like you're saying, John, if, if, if we stay at what we've sort of seen in the past 12 months, these big jumps and a lot of input costs, um, you see that the fuse gets a lot shorter and that that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you wrote the book, The Money Bubble. You've looked at past fiat currency regimes um, or, or world currency regimes, including fiat ones, previous ones. Uh, so you know how they end. Um, what is sort of your, I'm going to ask you just to sort of throw spaghetti at the wall and prognosticate here for a second. But, but looking at the arc of history and looking where we're headed, what do you sort of see the progression, uh, the most likely progression going forward is going to be for the US dollar, um, you know, given how much value it's already lost and given at least the current policy trajectory of the folks running the system? Yeah, well, well first of all, um, uh, let me make clear that the idea of a currency collapse or a hyperinflation or whatever you want to call it is not some exotic thing that you and I are just making up out of thin air because we hope this horrible thing happens to this currency that we don't like. Uh, it's, it happens all the time. You know, historically, if, if, if you Google, list of hyperinflations. You get this long page of, of countries who have ruined their currencies by borrowing too much money, creating too much new currency to cover their increasing debts, and then seeing the currency just fall out of bed, just cease to exist basically as a, a functioning form of money. So it happens a lot. And we're making those exact same mistakes, but we're doing it on a global basis now. Instead of just one country in a sound money world screwing up their currency, Basically, everybody is screwing up their currencies in the same way that all those other countries did before they had hyperinflations. So we're, we're basically doing something that is, is, you know, common, relatively common and kind of well understood in financial terms. Um, OK, because what we're doing now is borrowing more and more money year after year at the governmental level and then encouraging the private sector to do the same thing. You know, corporations, individuals, student loans, car loans, home loans, everything. We're borrowing more and more money. That 
requires more and more currency creation to keep all those debts from blowing up. In other words, to keep people from defaulting on those debts. Uh, so we are um, moving along the, the normal arc for this kind of thing. Our debts are increasing, our currency um, creation is increasing, and that's causing the value of the currency to go down due to oversupply. All of that stuff is in place now. And we're accelerating the process. You know, we're going to run a $3 trillion deficit this year in the US. And it used to be that $1 trillion deficits were emergency level policies that we would do for a couple of years to save us from a 1930s style depression. And then we would go back to normal after that. Well, yeah, now they look like belt tightening. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's austerity, a trillion dollar deficit. Literally, if we went to a trillion dollar deficit right now, we would have a collapse in most um, you know, most of the leverage speculating community, which is to say almost everybody these days. Uh, and, and what I don't think people get yet is that this is the new normal because while all this, oh, this COVID emergency thing is going on, baby boomers are retiring. You know, my generation is turning 65, 68, 70, and, and we're sticking our hand out and saying, okay, I'm ready for my free healthcare now for the next 25 years. And I, I want that monthly social security check. So the, in the, the $3 trillion deficits that we're running right now as an emergency are going to become the embedded structural deficits of the, the US going forward, basically for as far as the eye can see until all the baby boomers die. You know, We're not gonna die anytime soon, we're in good shape. So we're gonna collect our Medicare and our social security for 20 or 30 years from the time that we retire, uh, which means we're going to continue to borrow more and more money year after year after year, and then create more and more new currency to cover those debts. Um, and the, the question then becomes, at what point does the effects of this massive and ongoing currency creation um, become noticeable to people and scare people? And I think we're pretty close. I mean, if, if what's happening this year continues, so we don't know for sure if, uh, if the current inflation is due to you know base effects from the uh, the last year with the COVID lockdown or this the global supply chain being screwed up, but it'll be fixed in the future, or to all the money we're creating, you know we don't we don't know exactly why prices have suddenly started soaring, uh, and they they might settle back down for a while before the eventual crisis that blows up these currencies takes place, or they might continue to increase. And if if inflation stays on an upwardly sloping arc from here. I don't think it takes much more than what we're seeing today to spook people into acting as if we're in an inflationary environment. And what that means is uh, people will stop wanting to hold dollars or euros or yen because they perceive those things to be rapidly um, depreciating assets. And when they do get their local currency, they'll convert it into real stuff as quickly as possible. In other words, farmland, rental houses, gold and silver, maybe some energy assets, things like that that governments can't inflate away, uh, the price of those things will soar. That will be perceived as financially destabilizing and then the system will spin out of control. That, that's kind of how it usually works. And we may not be that far from that. You know, I, I've learned not to make any kind of uh, predictions that have a date attached to them because <laughs> that, that hasn't worked out well in the past. But uh, the trend that we're on is pretty clear and its ending is also pretty clear. You know, the Minsky moment, the, uh, the crack up boom of the, the Austrian school of economics, something like that, some horrendous 
currency crisis, when people just give up on the big fiat currencies, is what is coming. Might be next year, might be five years from now. There's no way to know that. But investors um, need to position themselves on the right side of that part of the tide of history. In other words, we need to own more real assets and fewer financial assets to protect ourselves from what's clearly coming. As additional context to John's points, economic analyst Lynn Alden made this prediction in our recent interview with her about a coming reduction in the dollar's dominance as the global world reserve currency. Over time, you know, we're moving more and more towards kind of a multipolar currency system where I don't think there's any one currency that, that comes in and displaces the dollar. I just think that the dollar goes down as a share of global reserves and as a share of, of you know, say, commodity payments, uh, for example. And it could, it could even still be the single biggest, but that it's just not, it doesn't have like a complete lock on, on those markets like it has for, for quite a while. And in many ways, we've already seen, for example, the dollar. Uh, you know, share of global reserves has been in decline for the past 20 years, very slowly. Uh, and then the big thing to watch this more recent, just the past couple of years, is that we're starting to see oil trade happen outside of the dollar-based dollar system, led in part by Russia and a couple other nations. Uh, and, and so that that's kind of a, a more structural shift, where I think we're heading towards a, a, you know, kind of a period of regional reserve currencies, rather than, say, the U.S. dollar just kind of you know, like a light switch going off and we lose that status and another country gets the status. I think basically we're, we're at the point now where there's no country whose currency is big enough to be the only currency that you buy oil with. And worth noting as well is macro analyst Stephanie Pomboy's prediction that de-dollarization will be a key investing theme of the coming year. But I think you also are seeing, um, you know, a shift basically from paper assets to hard assets. And uh, I think that that's going to continue, uh, whether it ends up being inflation or deflation in the near term. Um, I think that a lot of that is just a function of this global shift away from the dollar. For those looking for further exploration on how to position to protect the purchasing power of your current dollar-denominated wealth, Watch our recent interview with Michael Pento if you haven't yet. It's received a ton of positive feedback, probably because Michael gives such a generous abundance of specific predictions. Or if you're looking for customized guidance for your unique personal financial situation, just schedule a free, no strings attached consultation with a financial advisors endorsed by Wealthion. They join me on this program every week and are experts in what we've addressed in today's video. Just fill out the short form over at Wealthion.com to talk with them. It only takes a couple of seconds to do so. Oh, hey, I almost forgot. This is the first interview being recorded in the new Wealthion studio. What do you think? If you've got any feedback, let me know in the comments section below. And please help me enjoy my 50th birthday by clicking the subscribe button below. And with that, I'm off to enjoy some birthday cake, and I hope you have a great day too. Thanks for watching. Thank you.